these verses in Psalm 118 that I thought I would say a few words by way of meditation before we take the Lord's table. In Psalm 118 is one of the most famous verses that all of us know. Verse 24, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. People misconstrue that verse. Most everybody misconstrues that verse. They say that about every day. Or they say that about the Lord's day. No doubt, every day was made by the Lord. And in every day we should rejoice and be glad that this is the day which the Lord has made. You know, we're not evolutionists here. And we believe that every day is a creation of our great God. He didn't just come here by some mechanistic process. And God didn't even create the universe and just set it spinning on its wheels like the deists think. No, we believe that our Lord Jesus upholds all things by the word of His power. And if there's a day today, it's because the Lord has determined it and has made it, has brought it to pass by His upholding and sustaining power. And if we would remember that, we would not be so careful for all the grubby things that consume most of our lives, but rather we would give thought to the fact that God has ordained that we should be alive today and we should give Him thanks. But in the context, it's talking about, of course, the stone which the builders rejected. And the psalmist has already laid the predicate that the Lord's people rejoice in His strength in His goodness, in His power to save, and His hearing of His people when they call for salvation. Verse 21, I will praise Thee, for Thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. And then he says this, the stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We shall rejoice. And be glad in it. So the day which the Lord has made is the day in which the rejected cornerstone is become the head of the corner. It's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. That means the fact that Christ has made the cornerstone contrary to the rebellion of the world is all the Lord's doing, none of ours. We're not going to bring in the kingdom. We're not going to establish the rule and throne of our Lord Jesus. It's going to be the Lord's doing. Now, He may use His people, but it'll all be of Him and none of us. And we should take wonder at it. It's marvelous in our eyes. It's a, a thing of beauty and of astonishment and of glory and of great and mighty power by our God that He has made Christ the head of the corner. Now, when I was a little boy and I heard these verses preached, read them in my Bible, I thought the image I had was that the reason the cornerstone was rejected was because here are these people building this building and they come across this cornerstone and they just don't know where it fits. So they just drag it off over into the grass somewhere and the grass grows up around it. And Meanwhile, they finish the building and oops, there's a stone missing. <laughs> That's what that was. Well, let's go back over there and fetch it. But that's just a childish misinterpretation of what the cornerstone's all about. You see, the cornerstone is something that people in countries where they build 
things out of stone, which we don't do that much anymore. We have these synthetic stones, which we call bricks. But in the olden days, they would build buildings and they would build them out of stone. And they would stack the stones up and put mortar between them and so forth. And the important thing was that the building be true. Otherwise, as the wall was built, it would lean one way or the other. And then, of course, it would be unstable and it would collapse. So you needed a sure foundation stone to form the corner so that you could get all the angles right. And then you would use strings to do that. And you can sight along the edges of the cornerstone. And you see it gives you all three axes, all three dimensions, width, breadth, and height. So that if you build true to the cornerstone, then your building should be on a good foundation and should be true and stable and should last longer. Of course, anything we build is going to collapse one day. But that's what the cornerstone is for, is to set the true direction of everything. And you see why the builders, that is the people who run the world, the movers and shakers and playmakers, as Paul Gallo calls them, the beautiful people, as some of us call them, the builders, they rejected the cornerstone because they didn't want to conform their building to the cornerstone. They had different notions of how to build their building. And if Christ is the cornerstone, which He certainly taught that He was, which the Scriptures make clear that He is, the reason that he was rejected, that the cornerstone was rejected, was they would not have this man to rule over them. Jesus confronted them with that truth just days before he was put to death by these same people who rejected the cornerstone. They didn't want him determining what was righteous and true. They didn't want him to set the plumb line for what they did. That's why they rejected him. It was an act of rebellion, not confusion or misapprehension or unclear directions. It was an act of rebellion against the righteousness of God. For Christ is the head of the corner. And they didn't want to conform their lives or their works to the principles and standards and righteousness of the Lord Jesus. They didn't want Him to rule over them. You see, they were overthrowing the whole purpose and ministry of Messiah when they rejected Him as the chief cornerstone. But notice that it doesn't say that they soon realized their mistake. As I used to think as a child, they realized where they had gone wrong. No, they went wrong on purpose. They went wrong deliberately. They defied God and they defied the dear Son come to save His people and to rule in righteousness. Do you remember in Isaiah 9 at verse 6 it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His reign and righteousness there shall be no end. Well, that's that's the reason they rejected the cornerstone. They didn't want Him to be their God. They didn't want Him to rule in righteousness. They didn't want there to be an increase in righteousness according to Christ. They would decide what was righteous and what was good and what was true. 
And then it says that the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This doesn't mean that Jesus snuck into their building site one night and stuck Himself into to be the head of the corner of their great work. No, what it means is their great work is destroyed while the work that lasts, the true work, is built upon the cornerstone. It turns out that if there's going to be a building, it's going to be built on Christ or it's going to be destroyed. So you see, He has become the head of the corner regardless of their rejection of Him as the cornerstone, not because they submitted their works to Christ, but because He submitted them to His judgment. And His righteous work is built upon His standard of righteousness, truth, justice. He has become the head of the corner. You see, His cornerstone, the Lord Jesus, it crushes all the buildings that are built contrary to His rule and His reign. And they find that what they had constructed in rebellion against the cornerstone is destroyed. It collapses. It's knocked down. It's destroyed by a flood. Isaiah describes in one instance in his book of prophecy those things built on other foundations. When the waters grow high, they're swept clean. All the building that's on top of their plan is leveled to the ground. So here we see that the reason that we rejoice in this day is because we see the Lord Jesus has become the head of the corner. He was always the head of the corner. They just refused to true themselves to it as it were. And so they shall end up in utter destruction. The Lord Jesus has become the head of the corner. And in Ephesians 2, Paul describes how that the building of the Lord's people, that is, into the mysterious church, is based upon Christ as the chief cornerstone. And Peter says that Christ as the chief cornerstone disallowed among men is nevertheless beloved and precious to the Lord's people. Christ is the precious stone that was rejected by this wicked world. And not just by this wicked world, by the rulers of His own people and the people who style themselves as righteous and no one else was righteous. But Jesus said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot in any way enter into the kingdom of God. And so Christ is the basis of all rule, all righteousness, all knowledge, all understanding, all salvation. And this day, when we see Christ as the cornerstone, we rejoice. It's a day God made. We rejoice and are glad in it. That means, of course, that we readily submit to Christ as the cornerstone. We do not rebel against His commandments and His righteousness. Rather, we seek to honor them and obey them. And though we are not perfect, never said we were, yet Christ will true us up in His own way, in His own day, so that in the end we will be a glorious church a glorious spiritual building 
in worship of our God. And already the Holy Ghost inhabits that building which Christ is constructing true to Himself, true to His righteousness, true to His judgment, true to His mercy and grace. And in Matthew's Gospel, the 25th chapter, we read of when it becomes apparent to the rest of the world that Christ is the head of the corner, He reveals Himself as the King who is the judge. And you notice that it's Christ that sets the standard of judgment, not ourselves. I've been having discussions in Twitter with some character whose modus operandi is to make a pronouncement of justice based on his own notions of what's right. And then use that to rebut what the Bible says because it can't be the Bible is saying something that's unjust. So you see, rather than submit himself to God's Word, he submits God's Word to his Word. He backs himself into repudiation of what God's Word says by demanding that God be just and that everybody stop accusing God of being unjust in the way in which God has clearly revealed Himself to act in His Word. And one of the things he thinks is unjust is that God should judge people for their sin when all they did was carry out God's decree or purpose. You remember, Pharaoh was judged in his sin not letting the people go, even though God said He would harden Pharaoh's heart so that He wouldn't let the people go. And so the sinner says, Aha, then you can't judge me for my sin because unbeknownst to me, I was just obeying your will. But of course, we're not charged with obeying God's secret will. We're charged with obeying His commandments that He gave us. He'll worry about what His decree is and how we ought to be judged. Well, this man, you see, he, rather than submit himself to the cornerstone of the Scripture and of Christ's teaching, he wants to be the cornerstone and submit Christ to His teaching. And I've explained to him over and over, that's not the way it works. You don't get to declare your view of justice and then impose it back on God. It's the other way around. God declares what's just and He imposes it on you. But this is the way people think. There's all kind of ways of rejecting the cornerstone. And one is to pronounce loudly that you are embracing the cornerstone, only it turns out it's your cornerstone, not Christ. But you've just renamed it for your own purposes. But in the great judgment, God declares that His people have done him honor in their treatment of the Lord's people. And you notice that the righteous, they reject God's claim respectfully. They don't remember when they did any of those good things towards Him. But the king explains, inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Notice that the truly righteous come before God without any pretense as to their own righteousness. You know, what we would have done is we would have said, oh yeah, and don't forget the time I did this good thing. Oh yeah, and don't forget that good thing over there. It seems that Jesus only remembers against His people in the judgment 
the good that He has wrought through them. And as for the wicked, He only remembers against them the bad they wrought against Him. Isn't that astounding? But that's the way the chief cornerstone operates. And the world rejects Him, and the religious leaders reject Him, and the self-righteous people reject Him, and the people with kooky, weird, heretical doctrines reject Him as the cornerstone. But God makes Him the cornerstone anyway. And all that is true and right is conformed to Christ as the cornerstone. And it's the Lord's doing. It's not of our own. And it's marvelous for us to behold and we rejoice in the day when we see it happen. And you see, we see it happen already. But one day we'll see it happen with our own eyes. And as Job puts it, the sight of it takes our breath away. And you see, it would have been a terrible thing for Christ to be the cornerstone if He had left us in our sin. Because first, we would have rejected Him as the cornerstone. And second, even if we had sought to embrace Him as the cornerstone, we would be miserably misaligned, out of order, and destroyed, wouldn't we? But the cornerstone was gracious and brought about the conformation of His people to Himself by being judged in our place on the cross. And around this table, we rejoice that the Lord Jesus is the measure of all things, the ruler of all things, the judge of all things. And He's also the source of all mercy to those who are broken and crooked and disheveled and misaligned. He can put His people into alignment with His beauty and righteousness. And He does so by taking away our crimes and being punished for them in our place on the cross. And so let's give thanks for the Lord's table because it represents to us, it reminds us of that work of redemption which our cornerstone wrought for us when He was rejected by the rulers and by the religious leaders. And yet, He is become the head of the corner. He has redeemed His people. He is building us into a perfect, glorious temple which He might dwell in with His people forever. I'd like to ask Brother Whitten if he'd give thanks for the bread that pictures the body of Christ broken for us. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, He took the bread and He blessed it and He broke it and He said, Take and eat. This is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let's give thanks for the cup that pictures the blood of the Lord Jesus shed to make atonement for us. Oh God, our Father, we rejoice that You have sent us Your Son. You have made Him like unto His people whom He would redeem in human flesh that He might have a body with which to sacrifice for the sins of His people. You laid on Him all of our crimes on the cross and He patiently bore them and was treated as if He were guilty in our place. And we thank You that He shed His precious blood for without the shedding of blood there is no remission. And we thank You that by His blood shedding He has paid all the price and cleansed us from every sinful stain. And God, we thank You that we were not left to the strict and harsh judgment of a cornerstone. 
but your dear Son died that we might be conformed to that cornerstone, made to be alive in Him as lively stones, and brought into your family and built into a beautiful temple, a church that you might dwell in, a church of holiness and cleanness and purity. We thank you that Christ has so bejeweled His people and perfected us by His dying for us. Thank you that He has made by His blood shedding, made us holy and perfect to come into Your presence. And we do come into Your presence. And we rejoice in the day we discover that He is the chief cornerstone and that He one day will be seen by the whole creation to be the head of the corner. Praise God. Thank You for this cup that reminds us of the blood He shed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Scriptures tell us that after they had supped, He took the cup and He blessed it. And He said, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the new covenant in My blood for the remission of sin. Do it as often as ye do it in remembrance of Me. And the Scriptures tell us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do preach the Lord's death until He comes. Let's stand and sing number 79 in the Black Book. Thomas Kelly's hymn, Jesus, Thy head once crowned with thorns, is crowned with glory now. Heaven's royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's brow. Number 79.